Well, good morning to you. Maranatha. Maranatha. I don't know if that simple phrase touches you or helps you, but I've got to tell you, it helps me get through the week. As we start out the week on this Sunday morning, just knowing that our Lord comes kind of gives you the encouragement to face another week. Regardless of what comes, we know that God's faithful and that we can trust Him to the uttermost. Well, this morning, it's, I'm going I'm to preach on a scripture that I have preached on before. You know, and, and they say that if a, if a sermon is worth preaching once, it's worth preaching twice, right? If it's not worth preaching twice, it probably wasn't worth preaching once. But this morning we're going to cover a, a portion of Scripture that if you're new, you've never heard preached before. And if you've been here for a long time, you just need reminding of the truth and what was actually going on concerning the prodigal son and the story behind the prodigal son. What, what was happening? Uh, my question to the church as we get started, this church, this body of Christ, is our attitude concerning reaching the lost at any cost. Is our attitude... Y'all come, or is it let's go and reach those who need to know the Lord, who need to hear the gospel. The thing that we say many times, we say often, we stress this truth, is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If people do not hear the gospel, they are not going to believe. Faith comes by hearing that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. And by faith, they can be saved by believing that Christ did that for them. So when it comes to reaching the lost, is our attitude, we desire to go to the highways and the byways, or we'd rather invite people here to our stained glass windows and our ivory towers, or do we want to reach the lost at any cost? Are we willing to go to the ends of the earth, or we say we're willing to go to the ends of the earth, but we really don't even go to the end of our driveway? See, those are questions that we need to be confronting ourselves with as we talk about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those truths, those facts, are sort of what is the gist of the story that we're going to look at this, this morning. Uh, there's actually three parables attached to the parable of the prodigal son. There are three parables that are grouped together, and you really can't teach one of them without teaching the other two. There is the parable of the lost sheep, there's the parable of the lost coin, and there's the parable of the prodigal son or the, the lost son. Actually, the word prodigal does not mean lost. It means wasteful. That's what the word prodigal means. He was a wasteful son. 
But the Lord used all three of those scriptures in order to make an extremely important point. And I'm going to tell you what the point was to begin with. Then as we go through it, we'll see it clearly, hopefully. The Lord's point through all of the scripture is as he talked to the, the religious leaders of Israel, he was telling them as he shared the lost sheep, as he shared the truth of the lost coin, was this is what your desire should be. This, this is what your attitude should be. And then when he talks about the prodigal son, basically he says, this is what your attitude is. And it has more to do with the brother than it does with the wasteful son. And we're going to look at that this morning. So turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Verse 1. Luke chapter 15. Verse 1. Now we know that as we go through this, there are multiple applications that we, the church, the body of Christ, can uh, apply to the, the truth of what we're, we're going to be studying. The point that I, I want you to be thinking about this morning is what is our attitude of reaching the lost? Or do we have the attitude of a lot of religious people? Is there an arrogance? Remember, Israel's problem is they understood that they, that they had the oracles of God. They had the promises of God, the promises of the prophets concerning what God was going to do to them and through them, and there was an arrogancy. There was a mine, we're going to keep it, we're not going to share it, we're not going to tell others. They were to be a blessing to the Gentile nations, but instead of being that blessing, they kept those truths and saying, this is ours, you can't have it. And that's one of the reasons they got into such difficult, difficult times. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So the tax collectors and the sinners were coming to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons they were doing that, or the main reason they were doing that, is found in John chapter 7, verse 46. When the officers were sent to bring Christ to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, and the officer, they asked him, well, where, they asked the officers, well, where is he? How come he's not here? The thing they said to those group of religious leaders, never a man spoke like this man. Talking about the Lord Jesus. And so he was having an effect. These, these publicans, not republicans, but publicans, they were tax collectors. They were considered to be sinners. They were, they were sort of like we would talk about t tax collectors today. They, they were sinners. And they were coming to hear the Lord speak because never a man spoke like he spoke. His words made a difference. There was hope. There was excitement. There was promise. And all the things that he was sharing, everything that they had heard, everything they had desired, everything they had hoped for. He was the one. He was the Messiah. He was the one. 
and they drew near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Heaven forbid. See, that was their attitude. Their attitude was not reach the lost at any cost. Their attitude was, you're over there, and we're over here. And they griped and complained, and they mocked, and they ridiculed the fact that Christ was reaching out to these sinners, to these that were lost. Look at Luke chapter 5. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 29. Luke chapter 5, verse 29. And Levi made a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murdered against murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 10, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees or the religious leaders, when they saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat, eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not called the righteous but sinners to repentance. So in the book of Matthew we have it. In the book of Luke we have it. Look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I, I just want you to see the attitude of these people who thought they were so religious, they were so right. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, 
They that are whole hath no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, in three different gospel accounts, and it's the same story, same happening, same event, but the fact that it's there in each one of those lets us know that it's important that that point be made. Look at Luke 19. Why? Why was he doing that? Why? Doesn't he know that was not done before? Doesn't he know that the righteous just don't eat with sinners? We don't, we don't have anything to do with the unrighteous. I mean, after all, if they're supposed to be saved, they're going to be saved. Is that true? Uh-uh. Faith comes by hearing hearing by the Word of God. And if we don't share the Word of God, they're not going to hear. And the only way that we can share the Word of God is to reach out to them. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Why was the Lord reaching out to sinners, to the unrighteous? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Period. Period. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, 56. Verse 56. Luke 9, verse 56. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And let me tell you, sinners need their lives saving. And who's going to be the one to save them? The Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. In order to have a relationship with God the Father, you have to have God the Son. I think this is interesting. Back to Luke 15. Or Matthew 11. Go to Matthew 11. I want to, in keeping in vain, or keeping in line with what we were just talking about. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Verse 16. Boy, the attitude of religious leaders, the attitude of those who thought they were in the know, what we know from what Christ said about them is they were vipers. They were like whited sepulchers on the, on the outside. Boy, you, you, you're all dressed up and you're all nice on the outside, but boy, on the inside, you're just rotten bones, rotting and decaying. That, that describes them. Look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 11. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? Matter of fact, he uses that expression 16 times about this generation that he was talking about here. This generation. It was an important description. It was an important expression. He called them an evil generation, an evil, adulterous generation. He called them faithful, a faithless. He called them perverse. It was this generation that rejected him. 
And he says, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling out to their fellows of those that, that pass by and saying, we have piped unto you and you've not danced. We have mourned unto you, but you have not lamented. In other words, this generation, Christ was reaching out to them, but they were not doing what they should have been doing. Verse 18, he gives them an example of what they were doing. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a devil. He, come, he didn't eat. He didn't drink. He had nothing to do with sinners in this fashion. And they said, he's a devil. So we reject him. But the Son of Man, who is the Lord Jesus, but the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. See, regardless of what he did, they had their own imagination of what was right, what was wrong, and they enjoyed their position, they enjoyed their status, they enjoyed everything that they had based on who they were in the nation of Israel. We're the covenant people. Oh, we've had the oracles of God. Oh, we, we're the blessed ones. But their heart was evil and wicked. And so it's with, with those scriptures in mind, let's look what Christ says to them here concerning the wasteful son and the lost sheep and the lost coin. Verse 2, in the, back to Luke 15. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And the Lord spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost." I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. All of heaven rejoices. You want to know the heart of God? You want to know how important it is when someone comes to Christ? All heaven rejoices. Likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents that realizes they're going in the wrong direction, and they turn and they come to God. That sheep was lost. He was saying, which of you, you're that are complaining about the fact that I'm reaching out to these sinners, and by the way, I, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He made sure they understood that. But which of you, if you have a hundred sheep, and you've got 99 of them, one is lost, you're going to go into the wilderness. You're going to go find that sheep. And you're going to bring it back. And you're going to tell your friends, Look, I found it. I found it. That's something to be excited about. 
It's because that sheep is of value. And Christ was telling them, these sinners that are coming, hey, He wasn't condoning their sin. Don't get me wrong. He's not condoning their sin. He's not telling them, it's okay, you just keep sin. It's not what He was telling them. But He was speaking truth to them. And they recognized that truth. And that's why they said, never a man spoke like this man. It's making sense to them. But talk about the heart of God. We see the heart of God that all heaven rejoices. But then he brings up another parable at the same time. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, which back then this was about the equivalent of a day's wages, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and she sweeps the house, and she seeks diligently till she find it. You know why? It's because that coin is valuable to her. Christ was making the point, these sinners are valuable to me. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come to destroy them. I came to save them. Verse 9, And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. That valuable thing that was lost, I have found it. Rejoice with me. Verse 10, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Isn't that exciting to know? Isn't that exciting to know? I don't know. <laughs> that really kind of brings up a question, doesn't it? I know there's some of you out there right now thinking, well, does that say that in heaven they know what's going on here on earth? How many of you were already thinking that question? I'm about to ask. That's what I thought. Always Howard Hampton. Always, he, he, he's going to ask those kind of questions, I guarantee you. Well, I don't know if believers, that, that, but the angels do. The angels know. As a matter of fact, in Peter, it tells us that the angels are so interested in the salvation that we have in Christ that God's Word says they have a desire to look into that offer of salvation. Hey, you realize angels cannot sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Boy, when we sing that, the angels just step back. They can't sing it. But boy, howdy, we can. We can sing it. But God's Word says, there is joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. They know what's going on. They know how marvelous it is. They know how glorious it is. They know the cost. They know what it cost. But he wasn't finished. He wasn't finished. Verse 11, he continues, he's talking to these Pharisees. See, th that needs to be their attitude. Your attitude should be such that if you've lost your sheep, you go find it. You've lost your coin, you go find it. It's valuable, it's precious, it's worth something to you. But he's getting ready to tell them what their attitude is. 
And he said unto them, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now again, prodigal does not mean sinful or wayward even. It just means wasteful. (laughs) This boy was wasteful. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, verse 13, and he took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all day, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he fain would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him." Here was this Jewish boy that understood that you're not supposed to eat pork, you're not supposed to eat swine, they were unclean. But he'd come to the end of his rope, he'd come to the end of his, his possessions, and he found himself feeding pigs, which was a big no-no. In this country, I guess they were allowed to do it, but here he had left his country, and he would have, he, he would have eaten what the pigs left. And pigs eat anything and everything. And they're dirty. And he spent all. There rose a mighty famine. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. He started feeding the swine, and he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. But no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And if I perish with hunger, I will arise. And I perish with hunger. All, all my, servants, my father's servants, they have plenty. And here I am, I'm perishing from hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Christ was making the distinction, or, or, or making sure they understood these sinners that he's eating with, these publicans he's eating with, these people that he is talking to. You can equate them to the, this prodigal, wasteful son. These these sinners that they are so down on right now, why, this prodigal son, he could be one. And this prodigal son is going to say, I know what I can do. I am starving. I am so lost. I am so undone. I am so foolish. I am going to repent, and I am going to go back to my father. So there's going to be joy in heaven over that by the way I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him father I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I am no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired servants and he arose signifying what repentance change And he arose and he came to his father. Now, 
there is this application. I mean, most people talk about, oh, it's the story of the prodigal son and how the father receives him back. And, and there is, that, that's a great aspect of it. That, that is part of the application. But that's not where it stops. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He'd not even had a chance to go to his father and say, Dad, I'm sorry. His father saw him. His, all that mattered was his son is returning. His son is coming home. His son is coming back. That was the only indication that the father needed. And he ran to the son. See, that's the point Christ is making. You belittle me for eating with these people. I eat with them. I drink with them. I spend time with them. But they hear things they've never heard before. Certainly not by you, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders. They've heard, they're hearing truth. His father had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. That's when the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Christ was telling these Sadducees, these religious leaders, You want to know how my father in heaven feels about the return of a lost sinner? This is how he feels about it. They come confessing, I'm not worthy. And the Lord says, kill the fatty calf. Bring the robe. Bring the jewelry. Let's celebrate. He's come back. That's the way God feels about it. When a person who is lost and he is undone and they're dying and on their way to hell, when they understand that they need the true God of heaven and by faith they trust Christ, kind of gives you an idea of the heart of God regardless of what they've done. I, you want to underline that he wasted his substance with riotous living. I'm not even going to go what all that might indicate. And the father could have said, all right, what have you done with my money? You know all that I gave you, you wasted? You squandered? father didn't even bring that up it had gladdened him so much that he had returned verse 24 for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and he's found and they began to be merry how exciting that must have been See, that was to be their attitude. The sheep is lost. You do everything you can to go find it. You've lost your coin. You go and sweep and sweep and clean until you find it because it's precious. This prodigal son who was wasteful, he returns and they make merry. They are excited. That's, to be, that's what your attitude is to be. Oh, Israel, 
Christ is about to point out to them, but you know what attitude you have? You have the attitude of the Son. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here? What's all this happiness about? What's all of this gladness about? Well, Father, you never did. See, that was the attitude. That was Israel's attitude. They had the attitude of the other brother. And that's not good. And that's the truth that Christ was pointing out to them. Don't have that attitude. This is the attitude that you're to have. One that will go to any length to reach the lost. Now this, now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked, What do these things mean? And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatty calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. The word angry and murmured are not the same word, but back over in verse 2, but they're kind of closely associated, aren't they? They murmured that he was meeting with Pharisees, or he was meeting with the publicans and the, and the sinners. He says he was angry, and he's not going to go in. Therefore came his father out. Oh, and that's, that's what God does. God came out in order to correct his son and to graciously loving. I mean, there's so much truth into the heart of God that we see in these passages of Scripture, regardless of the dispensation. There is so much true, practical truth that underlines the heart of God and His caring and the, the extreme measure He's going to go to in order to win us to Himself. The Father came out and He called for Him. And He answered and He said to His Father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgress I at any time thy commandments. Boy, it sounds like a bunch of Pharisees, doesn't it? And yet, you never gave me a kid, a cow, a calf, or a lamb, or a goat. You never gave me anything to... to you, you give him fatty calf, and I didn't even get a kid. I didn't even get a goat. That I might make merry with my friends. See, that's the attitude of those that murmured. Why, God, we've been in your temple. Why, God, we've been here serving you, and we've been doing all of these things, and, and look, look how spiritual we are. Look how good we are. But as soon as thy son was come, verse 30, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Oh, it's because God forgives to the uttermost. The book of Isaiah said, Though your sin be as scarlet, though it be red and inflamed and atrocious, 
she'll be white as snow. See, only God could do that. For sin abound, grace does much more abound. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Go back to verse 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. The answer to that is verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Because Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. God's plan and purpose from the day he created Adam was to have a relationship with man. That's been God's desire. We are created in his image in order that we might have that perfect relationship with him. That relationship was marred by sin. what God does to show just how important mankind is he redeems us he saves us he makes us his own and in this present dispensation he makes us part of the body of Christ part of his body and not just part of his body he makes us heirs of God joint heirs with Christ Sinners, sinners, heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ. What this tells me is just how important we are to God, just how important God is, how how important man is to God, and what he's willing to do in order to purchase his redemption. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we rejoice that the truth of your perfect salvation, that perfect forgiveness of sin that we have in Christ. Father, regardless of the dispensation, regardless of the different program, regardless of what is going on as you deal with man, Father, the things that come, the thing that comes through so loud and clear and evident is your desire to draw us to yourself. And to have that relationship with you again. That can only be brought about through Christ. Father, we thank you for loving us that much. We thank you for being our God. For being so faithful. Not to abandon us in our sin. In our waywardness. and our wastefulness. But Father, make us new creations. Change us changing us to make us heirs of God. 
I pray this morning, Father, if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted you, that this will be the moment in their lives when they settle that all-important issue. By faith, they trust Christ Jesus as their Savior. They take that message of redemption personally and go, yes, Lord, that's what I want. I want to know you. I want to belong to you. I want to be yours. And oh, Father, I want you to be mine. So by faith, I accept that Christ died for my sins, was buried, and rose again. Father, I pray all of these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.